Shahanavi came to Damascus in an attempt to try to bring back his student Gehazi, bring him back into the fold, tried to affect a feeling of tshuva, repentance on his part. And Gehazi refused to accept these overtures on the part of Elisha Hanavi. He felt he had gone too far because not only had he committed sins himself, but he had caused others to participate in Avodazar, idol worship. And so Gehazi remained blacklisted. Stigmar says Gehazi is one of those who not only lost his life in the form of leprosy, but also lost his Ganadin forever. While there, Ben Hadad, the king of Aram, the king of Syria, became very ill. And no matter how much he tried to do different doctors, medical authorities, assistance, there was no way he could become cured. And he was desperate. He was told that the prophet had come to the city. So he sent his top military leader, Chazael, to visit Elisha Hanavi and to ask him, as a prophet, whether Ben-Hadad will live, whether he'll be cured from this illness, or whether he will die because of it. Hazael came to Elisha Hanavi's room, and Elisha Hanavi said to him, I know why you are here. Go back and say, the Hebrew words, Amar lo yechyeh. That sentence can be taken two ways. What he meant to say was that Ben-Hadad is going to die. His death is imminent. But tell him that he's going to live. How could Elisha Hanavi say something which is false? The prophet speaks only truth. The Torah says, Emor lo, lo is spelled Lamed Vav Aleph. Emor lo Yechia, which means say to him that he will live. Or it could be translated as Emor say, lo Yechia, he will not live. It could be taken two ways. Therefore, there is no falsehood involved. What he meant was, tell Ben-Hadad that he will live to pacify him because he was overwrought. Why worry him to death? He's dying anyhow. This message he gave to Hazael. Hazael understood the message. And while he waited, Elisha Levi turned away from him. He couldn't control himself. He burst out crying. Hazael was very embarrassed. Standing in the presence of this holy prophet who was crying, he asked, why do you cry? Each and every answer because I see the future. I see that you are going to become the king of Aram. And what bothers me, what hurts me most is that I can see the horrors you're going to cause the Jewish people. Troubles you're going to cause them, the persecution, deaths that you will bring to the Jews. Azel cried out, am I a dog that you speak this way? Why should I do something like that when I have so much respect for you? And nothing against the Jews. Elisha Levi said, fine, that's what you say now, but I can see the future. Hazael left. He came back to his master, the king Ben-Hadad. He told him, have no fear. Ben-Hadad was running a very high temperature. Hazael was a little anxious, because he knew that as soon as Ben-Hadad would die, he'd become king. Now why wait? Why delay the inevitable? So he said to Ben-Hadad, remove these servants from the room. I will nurse you myself. This high fever was burning up Ben-Hadad. Hazel took ice-cold compress, placed it on Ben-Hadad's face. The Torah says that the result of this was 
but it did not allow the heat to come out. The person has fever, as you would see a steaming cup of tea. You see the steam coming up, the vapor, it's the heat escaping. Here, the person has fever, the heat is removed, it comes out of the body through the pores. But when he places cold towel on him, he blocked these pores, forced the heat back to recede into the body, and this heat killed Ben-Hadad. This is how Ben-Hadad died. Hazor became king. A very small side note, let's say a cynical side note, that you speak to any of the exalted, praiseworthy elite among the medical authorities they will say if there's a heavy fever, a high fever, cold compresses just what's needed. Because nothing better than that to treat a high fever with. This is what the doctors, that is the good doctors, the great doctors will say. Which again proves that these great doctors are famous because they are as great as they are, they're only assistants. They're not the real thing. They're just assistants to the Malcham of us. And they hasten the person's demise. Very good that way. Because as is written, the Malachamavas, the angel of death, is a very busy angel. He has no time to take care of all the cases he's assigned to. So he has his assistants, doctors, up with these this excellent advice in helping a person, relieving a person to, out of his illness by transferring him to a new world where there's no more illness. Of course, as I said, it's very controversial, but... We must accept the words of the Torah that this is, let's say, at least if done in excess, then it could actually cause death. We're not saying a person should not use cold towel or forehead. To excess, the result would be as stated here. Uh, a person is sick, of course, we won't go into that topic, but very briefly, those who feel that they must have assistance would call doctors, but they should also summon the heavenly aid by saying to the doctor, you add one ingredient, a chapter of Tehillim, or ten chapters are still better. Now, after this was over, Chazor became king. Meanwhile, we have Shafat, was the king of the Malchus Yehuda, the tribe of Yehuda, that is a family of King David, king of the two tribes, while at that time, the king of of the ten tribes was Yoram. Shafat came back from the battle with Moab. He allowed his son, Yehoram, to become king in his place, though he was still alive. Well, this lasted for two years before Yehoshaphat passed away. His son, Yehoram, ruled for a period of eight years of comparative peace and quiet, though he did have one battle with the kingdom of Edom, which he was successful as victorious. But afterwards he passed away, and his son, Achaziah, or Achaziah, became king. <coughs> we now have, it's important that we keep these names clear. And we have two kingdoms of the Jews, one, two tribes, the family of King David, the main one in which, which controlled the city of Yerushalayim, the Holy Temple, and the ten tribes. The king of the two tribes, the king of the Malchus Yehuda, called, was Achaziahu, as we just stated, while the king of the ten tribes was Yoram, the son of the wicked king Achav. 
I mean, that's family. <coughs> family tree. Achav's wife's name was Izevel. She had been instrumental in killing the hundreds of prophets, the good prophets, killing the Tamid Hacham at that time. So it was a perfectly matched couple. King Achav and his wife Izevel, the evil and wicked. Their son, now Yoram, was king over these ten tribes, while Ahaziah was king over the two tribes. A battle, those days wars took place very frequently. In a war, where Yoram went to battle against Hazael, the king of Aram, he was soundly defeated, but also he was very badly wounded. He came home from battle, they went to recuperate in a special retreat, and while there, while recuperating from his wounds, Achazyahu, the king of Yehuda, came to visit him. Now, it would seem that going to visit a sick person is one of the important mitzvahs. So Achazyahu was doing a mitzvah and going to visit him, and yet, as we'll see, it turned out very much to the contrary. We have the point of the story now where Achazyahu visiting Yoram, king of the ten tribes, they were together in this private retreat. Meanwhile, Ishahanavi called to one of his students. The name of this student was Yonah. Yonah Hanavi. Again, let's get this, their identities clear. Yonah Hanavi is known in Treyasa, one of the books of Navian, as the Navi, famous because he was swallowed up by a large fish, and then saved from this fish the entire story of Yonah, which comes much later on. Remember, though, that Yonah was called Yonah ben Amitai, Yonah the son of the truthful one, which means, the Gemara says, that he was called that because he was the child that Eliyahu and Navi had brought back to life. As a child, he had passed away, and Elinavi brought him back to life. Therefore, he was called Yonah, the son of Amitai, because Elinavi was called the prophet of truth. Also, there was a second prophet from the Treosa, called Havakuk. He was the child that Elisha Navi brought back to life. Now, when Elisha Navi became the leader of the prophets, Yonah, the student of Elinavi, became a student later, became Elisha Navi's student. He now sent him on a mission told him, go to one of the generals of the Jews, his name was Yehu. He is closeted with the other generals, the other leaders, military leaders, and bring him this news, this very important item of news. Tell him privately, call him out, give him the message that he is going to become king of the Jews. In fact, anoint him right there, very quickly, before you have a chance to be caught, and flee. Anoint him, proclaim him as king, and run. Yonah was very young, went to the place where Yehu, the general, was stationed, came to the room, and he said to Yehu, I have a private word with you, sir. Can I see you for a moment? And Yehu got up, walked out, next room, Yonah took the oil, sprinkled it on his forehead, and said, I hereby 
anoint you, proclaim you as king of the Jews. But messages from Hashem, you're anointed now as a king proclaimed so by Hashem, a message from Elisha Hanavi. The message from Hashem is that you have a mission. You are to set out to destroy all the descendants of the wicked king Achav, to avenge the deaths of the prophets of Hashem that were killed by Achav and his wife, and Ezebel his wife too, whose flesh, whose body, will be eaten by dogs. And then Yonah fled. He ran out. Yehu went back into the room, and the general sitting there asked him, what did this Meshuggah want from you? The word, they used the word Meshuggah, which means the person who is mentally unbalanced or insane. They referred to Yonah, whom they recognized as a prophet, as Meshuggah. It would seem that they called him that because they were not religious at all. These were all idol worshippers. Yehu replied, nothing at all. You know what? These people don't count. So they said to Yehu, false. You're speaking falsely. Because he told you something in secret. It must have been something important. Tell us the truth. He said, well, if you want the truth, you know it to me as king of the Jews. What do you say to that? They all leaped up, removed their garments, and placed their garments one on top of the other, and told Yehu to sit down on top of that, top of this pile of garments, to show that they accepted him as their king. He was now their ruler. They accepted the word of the prophet, so they cried out, Long live King Yehu. Of course, the question is, this requires clarification. If these generals were idol worshippers from the, the followers of Yoram, the son of Achav, and they called this prophet Meshuga, why did they accept his prophecy? Why didn't they just laugh it off? The answer is that they did respect the prophet as one of truth. The reason they called him Meshuga, the Gemara says, because Benazal speaks about this often, because in those days, these prophets, when the time came to speak a prophecy, they appeared insane, because they'd go into a trance, an unusual type of trance, their eyes would become glazed, and then they would speak out of this semi-conscious state. This was the way the prophets received the message from heaven. And this is why the Gemara says the difference between all the Vian, all prophets, and Moshe Rabbeinu, the leader of all prophets, was Hashem himself testified that Hashem said, I speak to Moshe Rabbeinu the same as one person speaks to another. He is completely in control of his senses. He is completely awake just as a person is in speaking to his friend. The only prophet ever to reach that state of pure clarity, vision, during a prophecy, was Moshe Rabbeinu, the Rebbe of all prophets. Others were called, were looked like, it looked like they was Meshuggah, and that's why they called him this, though they did not mean it as an insolent term. Now, they, since they accepted Yehu as their leader, Yehu told them, in that case, then follow me, and let's fulfill the mission that I was appointed to. 
Uh, I got, by the way, speaking about the, the state of individual, unique state of greatness of Moshe Rabbeinu, Rizal says that Moshe Rabbeinu's prophecy came from a much higher level, a higher degree than all others. This prophecy is compared to the sun, while the prophecy of the other Nevi'im is like the moon, which means, in essence, that to Moshe Rabbeinu, Hashem spoke directly. He received the message directly from, from Hashem. When other prophets received the message from Hashem, it had to go through Moshe Rabbeinu first. In other words, the sun receives the light directly from heaven. The moon receives that same light, but it must come from the sun. It is reflected by way of the sun. So all the, the prophecies received by other prophets came through Moshe Rabbeinu. Therefore, he is called Rabban Shel Nevi'im, the rabbi of all Jews and the rabbi of all prophets. We'll speak more about it in a moment. Now, Yoram came, that is, uh, Yehu came with his followers towards the place where Yoram was staying, and the soldier on guard at the outpost reported to Yoram that there is a regiment of soldiers, officers coming. And he asked, have one soldier go out, ride out to him, and find out if it's a peace mission or otherwise. The soldier was dispatched, he rode out, he came to Yehu and asked him, the king told me to ask you the purpose of your mission. Yehu replied, if you want to follow instructions and save your life, get behind me instead of going back without me. In other words, join me in this revolt. The soldier looked at Yehu, recognized the voice of authority, and he joined Yehu's group. The soldier at outpost reported to the king that the soldier came, didn't return. He told him to send a second soldier. He sent the second one. The second one received the same instructions, and he joined Yehu. So the king decided to go out himself because he said, this sounds like Yehu, one of his favorite generals, who had a very commanding type of air about him, very domineering. So I go out to him myself. He told Ahazio to come with him in his royal coach to greet Yehu, find out what's up. They set out towards him. They came close to Yehu. Yoram greeted him and asked him, Is it peace, Yehu? Yehu said, Peace to you, the peace you deserve, and your mother, your evil mother, Izevel. So he told the soldiers, Get, catch Yoram, I want him for myself. Yoram cried out to Ahaziah, Escape quickly, this is a plot, it's a trap. They started to flee, Yoram was caught, and Yehu killed him. Then he pursued Ahaziah still further until he caught up with him, and he killed him too. His mission was to kill just the king of the ten tribes. Why kill the king of the tribes of Yehuda? The answer is that two of a kind 
stay together. If one associates with wicked people, he must be wicked himself. He deserves their fate. So Achazio going to visit Yoram ended up in death himself. But of course, Achazio was not pure. It happened that Achazio was a son of Atalia, the daughter of Achav. This primarily was the reason why uh, Yehu killed him. Yehu was given instructions to kill all the descendants of Achav, no matter how they are related. Since Achazio, though he was king of the, the Malchus Yehuda, still was a grandson of Achav, therefore merited death too. Now, his mission still was not complete. He killed as many of Achav's sons as he could get to, that is, relations, and then he went back to the capital city. He rode directly to the house where Izevel, the wife of Achav, was stationed. She looked out of the window and saw Yehu coming, so she prepared herself by putting on special makeup, as an old witch would do, and sat by the window. Then, with a smile, she greeted Yehu as he came riding up beneath her window and said, Greetings, O killer of his master. And Yehu called out to those stationed with her, Throw her down. Throw her out of the window. Or else. In other words, you will die. Again, Yehu had such a commanding tone that he inspired fear, injected fear into those we came in contact with, and they immediately obeyed his orders. So Ezebel was thrown out of the window, smashed on the ground, and then Yehu took his horse and trampled her to make sure that she was dead. The reason for this, the Gemara says that because of the idol worship that she had spread, killing the prophets, she deserved death by Skila. Skila if you recall, the law is stoning was done in a manner where they threw a person off a building first, and then he was stoned. So he did the stoning through the, the hooves of his horse, having it thrown in the window first. Now that she was dead, Yehu very calmly went into the house and said, Now we eat. To show how, how disdainful he was of the evil people there. He went to eat. When he completed his meal, he said, Now, it is only fitting, though Izevel was so evil a queen, still she is royalty. She has to receive a burial. He came out to retrieve her body. He found that the dogs had attacked her and had devoured her to fulfill the prophecy of Elisha Hanavi. But, Igemar says, something remained. What he did find was her skull, her feet, and the palms of her hands. Just the hands alone. The only things remaining. Igemar says, the reason these remained, the reason these deserved burial, was because Isabel 
did perform one mitzvah during her lifetime on a regular basis. This she did with zeal, with fervor. That was when it came to the wedding of a Jewish girl, she fulfilled the mitzvah of Ketzad Medakdin Lifnei HaKala. Ketzad Medakdin, Imara says how to, how to bring Simcha to the Kala, to praise her about her beauty, whether she possesses beauty or not, to say these words. But the wording uses Ketzad Medakdin. Medakdin means to dance. It means there is a specific mitzvah in dancing before a Kala, this mitzvah Izeh will perform. Uh, dancing is done with the feet and the clapping of the hands. It's called the kudem kaf, the clapping of the hands especially, which is a very integral, necessary part of dancing, and the movement of the head from side to side. It's the reason that her head, her skull remained, her feet and the palms of her hands which were used for clapping. We can see the importance of this mitzvah. The Benazal reveals, in a much deeper sense, why is it that we do this, clapping of hands, not just at a time of a simcha and dancing, which is mamtik dinim, that means that if there is ever a harsh decree against the Jews, if a Jew is ever in any kind of a tsar and trouble, and he can sweeten this trouble, can avoid it by dancing and clapping hands. Simcha is the best cure for any ailment, physical or spiritual. Even if that ailment is a decree, a harsh decree from heaven, if Jews are in trouble, they dance, and this can remove that harsh decree, that gzera. <clears throat> Aside from that too, the time of davening is also a mitzvah to clap hands, to show a enthusiasm, time of davening, to arouse oneself to a slavas, burning kavona during davening. What does the clapping of the hands accomplish? And it also says that when the Jews were in Mitzrayim, they were immersed in 50 degrees of tumor. 49, it reached the 50th. In order to become released, they needed a special type of heavenly power to release them. This was known as the 50 degrees of holiness, or known as Bina. Bina, the letter Yudkei the letter K of Hashem's name, the first one, it's the upper Shechina, known as Bina, was the one that led them out of Egypt, took the Jews out of Israel. Abina is known for the 50 degrees of wisdom that come from Bina. Bina means deep understanding. And that is why Yitzias Mitzrayim, the words Yitzias Mitzrayim, the Jews going out of Egypt, are mentioned 50 times exactly in the Torah to show that what brought them out, not just an ordinary level of holiness, but the upper Shekhinah itself, the upper spirit, the upper level of the spirit of Hashem, that's known as Bina. Uh, the word Mitzrayim it means narrow confines. It is used mainly with Meitzar Hagoro, meaning that the throat is the narrowest part of the body, and in the throat, strangely, there is no sphero. The ten spheros represent 
uh, correspond to the parts of the body, the three upper spheros, the three parts of the brain, the seven lower ones, the arms, legs, trunks, the, the actual parts of the body, but the throat is a connection between the three upper and seven lower without having a sphere of its own. <coughs> the throat is a tube from whence comes forth, comes forth something from below to above, and that is the voice. Uh, in tefillah, the person needs the use of his mouth. And that is why we come back to this point that Benazel says, how can a person arouse the power of tefillah, which means the Jews would take that of Mitzrayim, Mitzrayim means the narrow confines where they could not daven in Mitzrayim, they had to be released and freed. The tefillah became redeemed, the geula for the tefillah itself, by clapping hands, you have five fingers of the right hand striking the five of the left, and vice versa. In Hebrew, when we say multiply, always we use the word hako'o, strike. Strike one against the other means to multiply. The five of the right striking the five of the left is 25. The five of the left in turn striking the right is 50. You thereby create 50 degrees of kedusha. And this is the 50 degrees. This can bring about the power of the tefillah, the mouth. This is the secret, Rabbeinah says, of the Pasuk, Hashem said to Moshe Rabbeinu, you think that you are powerless in speech? You're afflicted when it comes to the power of speech? Me, son, peli, other. Who gave the power of speech? Who gave a mouth to a person? Me is known as Bina, the heavenly Shechina, because Me is Memyud, which is 50. 50 degrees of Bina, some Peh. That's what makes, gives the power of the mouth to a person. Gives the power of Tefillah. So this clapping of the hands, which creates the 50 degrees, this is some Peh. This improves and elevates the power of Tefillah, where a person can then daven a much higher degree of Kavana. Now I got to illustrate these also serves to illustrate this point about Hakor, multiplication. We have the name of Hashem, Yudke Vavke, which represents the Tadak Desha. These all says this is how two we see it illustrated. Yudke is one, and then Vavke. You have the Hakor, Yudke, that's Yud and K is ten and five. Hakor is ten times five, you have fifty. Yud to K and K to Vav. That's a total of a hundred. Above K is six and five. Six times five and five times six. It's thirty and thirty. You have a hundred and sixty. This hundred and sixty is bigimetria actually kayan. Kayan is one sixty. To show that it is also Hevel. Who is, who was, Moshe Rabbeinu. We've mentioned many times, the Zari Kodesh says that Moshe Rabbeinu was the Gilgal of Hevel. And that's why, if you recall, Moshe Rabbeinu married the daughter of Yisro. Yisro in the Torah is called Kani. Yisro was the Gilgal of Cain. He gave his daughter Zipporah to Moshe Rabbeinu. Why did Cain kill Hevel? Jealousy. The fact that Hevel had an extra twin sister. And he wanted to steal his twin sister from himself. In order to rectify this, they came back as a Gilgal. Yisro returned this twin sister to Moshe Rabbeinu. This was Yisro's daughter, Tzipporah. That is Kayan giving back the twin sister to Moshe Rabbeinu because Tzipporah 
Gematria Limosha. She belonged to Moshe Rabbeinu as the twin sister of Hevel, original intended wife of Hevel. Now, the Rizal says, note that Hevel, meaning, meaning the origin of Moshe Rabbeinu, why was he called Hevel? Because the Torah is known always as Horatius, the first word, the last word, the first letter of the Torah is Beis, the last letter is Lamed. That covers the entire Torah, which consists of five Chamoshim. Hevel is Hey, the five Chamoshim, Beis Lamed. We have Hevel, the says, what does the Hevel show? This is actually one. Hevel shows the Torah because it is actually one with Cain. They are one, they will be one, because when the Shiach comes, of course, the Vim will become the Kahanim. Then, the leaders, Kayan will revert back, he was the Bechor, come back to the leadership, so that actually Hevel and Kayan symbolically are one. And that is why Hevel, Hey, Hakor, Hey, five times Beis Lamed, is 160, same as Kayan. We see there that what? That this is the 160, Yud K Vav K Bahakor is 160, which stands for the Teda, that's the meaning of Teda Tsiva Lono Mesha. Here we understand Teda was given by Mesha Rabbeinu, the Gematria holds true to this Akor. This is a side item. Again, we back to this point that, as we said, the mitzvah of Kor, that is, the Kudan and Chaz Kaf, dancing, clapping hands, is a mitzvah during the time of trouble, and also the clapping hands, which helps in the time of tefillah. We'll continue this union of Chaz Kaf the next year, the next Monday mitzvah, because it's very vital to know that this is brought in Shulchan Aruch in reference to the Shaila about whether it is permissible dance, to clap hands on Shabbos. There's an Iser of Ashmiya Kerl, you don't know how to make noise on Shabbos, and even pertaining to music, and dancing, singing, clapping hands will be a Shaila. The discussion of Shachnarach, and we'll have the solution to that question the next year. We want to take time out now. Today, of course, was Tu Bishvat, which was a very important date in the calendar. It's a very important date for all Jews, the entire Klai Yisrael. Tonight is a semi-important date, at least for one person it's important. I believe you're all aware of the number 39. <laughs> <laughs> Birthdays, we're not ashamed of our age. 39 we say, don't believe. Birthdays, birthdays are important in a sense, in one sense of course. The Rizal says, this is a very unusual revelation. Rizal reveals a clear statement, the Shemana Shonah, that every person has a certain mazal, let's call that luck, good fortune that's attached to him, and this mazal belongs to this person at specified times, which means that Rizal says each person has, let's say, a lucky day of the week. On that day of the week, that person is immune to death. He cannot die on that day. Of course, Rizal revealed this day to his student of Chaim Vitalzal. He didn't tell it to us. We don't know which day it is. If we knew, there are a lot of things we could do then. 
But aside from being immune to death, a person's fortune is much better on that day. Uh, how much more so that Ezel says, if he has one day of the week, he surely has one day of the month, where his fortune glows, shines. Especially so one day of the year. That day of the year is a person's birth date. Therefore we find the story of Yosef HaTzadik when he interpreted the dreams of the baker and wine servant. He told them that three days from now this will be resolved because it will be the birthday of Paro the king when at the time of his celebration he performed certain changes in his kingdom because his power will become heightened then. So on the person's birthday that Esau says, his mazel shines, and where does it shine? It shines above. Perhaps he might not win a lottery on that day. His mazel shines above, which means that he has more power, his neshama has more power on that day, and can affect that which he cannot accomplish during a regular time. So it does not mean that he is immune to death, though it would seem so, Yet we find, of course, that the very holy tzaddik, like Meshavenu, Dafke was nostalgic, passed away on his birthday. That's because by the tzaddik Emes, his passing away is the most important event of the entire lifetime. He waits for the culmination, the climax, when he passes on to a higher leveling in Eden. But to the ordinary person, what is vital for him on his birthday is that he is given, he is granted a certain power, spiritual power, in that this tefillah can be answered much more readily and much more effectively on his birthday. In effect, this means that a person on his birthday can make a wish, in effect, and practically have it granted. Now, this night, the rule is that a person is not an individual alone. A person means himself and those that are part of him, those that are attached to him, which means his children, family, and more close even are the students to a rabbi. And that is why I will take this privilege now, since the privilege is granted, in the words of Arizal, I take this privilege, I do have the power of a wish, let's say, and I will use it in whatever sense I myself choose. I select tonight not to use it for myself, but to use it for all those present and to give this wish to those present as a bracha, as a blessing. The blessing is not one. The blessing is not one for all, but it is an individual blessing for each one separately. Whatever each one needs should become fulfilled, especially those who need a zivig those who are not married yet have to find their right mate, that's uppermost. They should find their true zivig easily, without difficulty, without any uh, opposition on the part of the mate. They should agree readily, and those who have found the mates should find favor in each one's eyes for a long life of happiness, complete fulfillment. Those who are married and who are in need of children to become nifkad very quickly, privileged to give birth and have children. Those who are in the process of producing should have very easy childbirth, healthy children, and ones that will give them true Jewish nachas. And all, of course, who need parnasa, livelihood, should be blessed with very easy, 
kosher type of livelihood, kosher meaning that you're not infringed by anybody else's rights, it should be very legal and very simple, giving them time to be able to come to classes of Teda, to spend time in the study of Teda, should be Tamateda imderecheretz, not just to have to be enslaved to the work, but this should be a means to be able to study Teda and to perform mitzvahs. Everyone, here I include myself, we should be zechet to tshuva shleima, to do real tshuva, and we should be zechet to true bina, more seichel. We can all use more seichel, more sense, more chachma, and together, if we include the entire Kali Yisrael, we should be zechet to see with our eyes the Yeshua, the victory for all the Jews, the entire Kali Yisrael, for the Jewish nation, the land of Israel, against all its enemies, all the enemies of the Jews, hidden ones, the open ones, should suffer the Mapala, the defeat that they deserve, and that altogether they should come to realize the truth. It does not pay to persecute, to attack the chosen children of Hashem. The end is always a sordid type of defeat and destruction for themselves. This they should realize now with the coming of Mashiach Tzedkenu, whose arrival we should all see with our eyes. We should all join in the real celebration of this universal victory when Hashem will be recognized and proclaimed as the Melech al Hashem Echod Ushmei Echod, Amen. Amen.